uh, wonderful to see so many uh, masks in front of me. <laughs> and I think familiar faces, too. No, it's great to see you. It's great that you're all back. And, you know, <clears throat> I have to say that the ashramites did very well in your absence, and they did very well, and uh, they, it was good to see them growing and so on. And I thought I'd show you a little bit of an example of that. You know, uh, the ashram dog is Shakti, the chow chow. And they're a wonderful breed, but they're extremely willful and stubborn. But the ashramites walked her every day and learned to adapt to her ways. And here's an example of Shakti being walked. <laughs> okay, sorry, I couldn't resist it. Somebody sent me that, and it's just uh, I'm I'm a great devotee of the breed, but they do have their own. And I and what I was saying about the ashramites is very true. They've done a, a splendid job, and so I want to acknowledge them. And I want to acknowledge everybody who's come back, and everybody in Radio Land, and of course. In the current world situation, we don't know whether this is uh, the beginning of having everyone back and uh, being together, or this is just a blip in some more lockdowns, and who knows what the future brings. Uh, fortunately, uh, as Lilavati said, there's Bhagwan Nityananda, there's Baba Muktananda, uh, there's the supreme Shakti that we can always uh, cling to. And uh, it's great to be celebrating Bhagwan Nityananda. Let me begin first by uh, doing what I do in every program, which is to quote my guru, Swami Muktananda, Baba Muktananda, who always said at the beginning of every talk in Hindi, Sabko Varasanmane Kesat Premse Hardik Swagat. With great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And he'd say that that's the essence, and tonight it's wonderful to welcome you back. Uh, and I hope to see you again and again, and everyone who, who can possibly come. Uh, it's a wonderful thing. <clears throat> Bhagwan Nityananda. Now, um, as, uh, as Lilavati transported me to uh, the Ganeshpuri and to that experience of uh, extraordinary experience. It's very hard to describe uh, what one experiences in Ganeshpur. I think everyone differently, but uh, there's a unanimity that, that the place is a magical place. And it's full of shakti, full of spiritual energy. Um, <clears throat> and as uh, we got ready for the, uh, for the uh, celebration of Bhagwan's birthday, uh, I, the other day I decided I was getting very homesick for Ganeshpuri, so I called up an old friend of mine uh, from the village. That's a very old friend. This, uh, her name's Indu, and she uh, was a little girl around Bhagwan Nityananda. Bhagwan died in 1961, 
So she was a little girl around Bhagwan Nityananda. And then afterwards, when I was in the ashram, Baba's Muktananda's ashram, up the road, uh, she would visit Baba. And so I got to know her in those days. And then uh, whenever we go to the ashram, we see her. She's part of what you could call the first family of Ganeshpuri. They own most of the stores, and they're all... Uh, uh, her, her brother is a trustee of the ashram and so on. But I called up um, uh, Indu, and it was a great talking to her. And she said in her charming way, you know, Ganeshpuri's wonderful, when are you coming, and all that. Uh, so I thought I'd share with you... Oh, first of all, let's, uh, let's have a picture of Bhagwan. Oh, no, not Bhagwan, but let's just show... What? Can you show Indu? Yes. Oh, did I did I destroy the uh, order? Okay. <laughs> okay. So here's uh, well, there's a beautiful. Okay. There's Bhagwan, and uh, Surrounded by children, Indu is the, the girl in the very center looking out at the camera. And there's, uh, the, she's got the little boy, baby, in her arms. That's Murlidar. And Murlidar is uh, the proprietor of a very fancy shop in Ganeshpuri and also trustee of the, of the temple now. Uh, but that's, uh, that's our, our Indu many years ago. <coughs> And she, uh, she told this story. She said, oh, you, you have another one of Bhagwan with children? Yeah. I don't know if Hindu is there, but uh, you can see that he, they just loved him. And here's a little story that she told. She said, Bhagwan loved the children of Ganeshpuri. On festival days, he would buy them new clothes and sometimes toys like balls and even a handheld instrument called a lezim, which is a small musical instrument with jingling cymbals. Do you have a picture of that? I think we have one. No? I'm really... Uh... There, well done. How's that for a musical instrument? What do you reckon? They must hold the wooden part and... Uh... I don't know. Or shake it some way. Or maybe they hold the small part and swing the other. I don't know. Yeah, it does. It does. Anyway, um, so he would give that. The children loved Bhagwan, and Indu, for four or five years, would sleep outside his sleeping quarters with the other children. Uh, in those days, Bhagwan slept in a dharmsala. Dharmsala is like a, a pilgrimage, a rest house. And that rest house was on the grounds of the current Samadhi Shrine, where Bhagwan is buried. It was called Vaikuntha then. And then in 1956, they built uh, an ashram for Bhagwan, which is now Kailas Nivas, and he moved over there. And he lived the last five years of his life in Kailas. Um, but um, Bhagwan would wake the children at 4 a.m. after he'd bathed. Uh, in the Kund, that's the uh, the hot springs. So he'd go bathe at 3 o'clock or 3.30. Then he'd wake them all up at 4 o'clock. And, uh, and the children would roll up their bedclothes, bathe, and return 
to Bhagwan to sing bhajans and massage his hands and feet. During the festival Mahashivaratri, which is in February, the weather is cold in Ganeshpuri, and one year Bhagwan brought all the children new clothes and also dressed them each with a yellow shawl. He then asked the children, which is a group of 10 or 12 of them, to walk from Ganeshpuri to the Anasuya Kund, uh, which is, uh, of course, in, in the river. Of course, the river, I guess, uh, the river, the Tansa River, which is right near Ganeshpuri, chanting Om Namah Shivaya out loud as they walked, and then go to Akroli, which is the next town on the river, and then to Vajreshwari, make the whole little tour chanting Om Namah Shivaya, then return to Bhagwan and Ganeshpuri. The children uh, all dressed in their new clothes and yellow shawls. Hindu tells this story. And then she said, Baba gave each of us the mantra Om Namah Shivaya, but how many actually received it? He gave us the mantra in person, but how many received and used it, she said. So, anyway, charming. So Bhagwan Nityananda, now we can have the pictures of Bhagwan. That, of course, is the picture that Baba used for his statue, as, as the, the pose for his statue of Bhagwan. Next. What else do you have? Ah. Arise, Kundalini delight. The match is in the box. The light is in the match. Strike the match and light the fire. I want to have this picture up in the hall with that statement under it. Arise, Kundalini delight. Do you have another? That's it? Okay. Okay, so Bhagwan Nityananda... Very fortunate, because Bhagavan's a very mysterious person, as even if you've never seen him before, and you just look at him, you know that he's a mysterious person. Um, and he was not, uh, Bob, you say, he's not a, a, a gentleman like me or a professor like me, him. And uh, he didn't uh, do give organized programs or courses or uh, anything like that, very informal. But he would occasionally uh, give teachings. That they, would, they would just come spontaneously. Uh, and th- these teachings would have been written on the wind and disappeared into the ether. And we would all ask the question, what was this loincloth man, uh, what, what did he teach? What did he say? And no one would be able to answer it except that when you went to Ganeshpuri, you would feel this, the earth trembled with Shakti, but you wouldn't know anything. But fortunately, there was one devotee, there's always one, uh, who wrote things down. And because of that, we have the Chittakash Gita's collection of Bhagwan's sayings. So uh, we, every once in a while, we delve into them. And they're always interesting. Here we go. Bhagwan Nityananda from the Chittakash Gita. Bhagwan says, From one coconut come thousands of coconuts. <laughs> so he's always using uh, uh, metaphors and uh, uh, images from local life, from village life. But if the trunk of the coconut tree is cut, the fruits cease. 
So what's, the, what's he talking about? He's likening that to attachment. He says, attachment, attachment is like the trunk. Sever it with the acts of discrimination. Then comes peace. In, uh, in the Indian scriptures, they always talk about two qualities, viveka and vairagya. Viveka is wisdom, and vairagya is detachment. And that if you have these two things together, you'll go very far, because the wisdom will be able, you'll be able to discern what the right path is, and the detachment means that you won't be swayed by other things, and you'll be able to let other things go, and you'll walk the right path. <clears throat> he says, the properties of harmony, balance, and inner peace all come from non-attachment. The steady intellect yields purity and perfect balance. The intellect that's not troubled by desire and fear. Truth is like letters engraved in stone. The talk of ordinary men is like letters written in chalk. It's interesting. I, I like that last bit. Truth is like letters engraved in stone. The words of the great beings has a resonance and a life to it, while the words of ordinary people disappear. And that's because the great beings connect to something beyond the ordinary, to that higher consciousness, the place of the eternal. Another one, now we've got that we've gone from coconuts, now we go to mangoes. <laughs> it's a... <laughs> A tour of a vegetable garden or something. <clears throat> On a single mango tree, not all fruits grow and ripen at the same time. That's he keenly observed, and now he's giving a metaphor. First, there's the tender young fruit. In its own time, it ripens. The ripe fruit is good to eat. Be like the mango fruit. Be at peace in everything, at every step. That's a very big leap he's making. He said, the, mango, the mangoes are at different levels on the tree, but they're not upset about it. The little mango doesn't say, I want to be a big mango. The big mango says, oh, it was very nice when I was young. Now I'm getting old, and I'm going to be eaten soon. He doesn't think like that. He's at peace at every step, and so... Human beings also should be wherever they are and be content where they are. It doesn't mean you don't grow or, 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 or strive or aspire, but be content where you are. Another one. Oh, we're back to coconuts. When a ripe coconut is freshly picked and opened, the kernel inside is closely bound to the inside of the shell. Any damage to the outer shell also damages the kernel. But when the coconut is left on the tree or exposed to the sun, the water inside evaporates and the dried kernel separates from the shell, making a noise when shaken. It's very keenly observed, isn't it? You can shake a coconut and it, there's no water in it, so it, uh, it just shakes like that. <clears throat> Similarly, one must realize that the inner self is distinct from the body. What a metaphor. 
So like the, the, the seed in the coconut, the inner self is separate from the body. <clears throat> the fire of this knowledge burns up all shortcomings. To know the self is the essential knowledge. Like the water in the coconut is burned away by the sun. The mind then shines like purified gold. If you know the self, you don't get the self confused with the body, then you shine like gold. Another one. This is, uh, we've moved out to the, from the, uh, the garden. Even the worst sinner can be changed into a knower of truth in an instant. There is no sunlight when there are clouds. The instant the clouds scatter, the sun is visible. Wonderful message of hope, isn't it? As soon as the ignorance parts, wisdom enters. No matter where we are, when that light, that light can dawn at any point, he says, Om is the city of peace. Om is the form of peace. Salutations to Om, that highest mantra. That Om is a symbol of that higher consciousness. That higher consciousness exists within every one of us. That's what we're going to be talking about in the workshop tomorrow. And as soon as we allow it to enter, then we're completely uplifted, engulfed in joy and in peace. Another one on detachment. Bhagwan says, how are we doing? Good? Are you going to your Bhagwan trance? Uh, here's a longer one. Vairagya, which is detachment. Viveka Vairagya, the ability to let things go. You know, when, when you're attached to everything, then whatever happens, you go, oh, this happened, oh my God, and they're not a, and you're totally caught up one thing after another, and there's no ability to create space and to find the peace. Everything is a crisis. Everything is so important and so crucial and so horrible and so frightening, or so wonderful, and so on. That that uh, that's why vairagya is very important. The ability to just be detached. He says, Vairagya should be like fire burning a cloth. When Vairagya is highly developed, the interior of the self will be visible. Why should it be like fire burning a cloth? It's not attached to the cloth. It just heats it up. I don't know. Uh, the body may sit firm, but it's the mind that should sit firm. Great to be able to sit in your body, sit firm, but it's the mind that should be focused. Those whose minds are not purified seldom have equal sight. Those who do not practice, by practice it means those who don't meditate, those who don't contemplate the self, those who don't say the mantra, those who don't try to grow inwardly, those who do not practice will have great difficulty and in possessing the sattva quality in them, the quality of peace and purity. The subtle intelligence 
is developed by practice. Subtle intelligence. You can be extremely intelligent about many things in business, academically intelligent, mathematically intelligent. Uh, you, you can master different fields, but unless you practice, unless you meditate, learn to still the mind, you won't have subtle intelligence. You won't be able to understand the inner, the way you work, the way your emotions work, the way your mind works, and how to attain peace. He says, unless you practice, the desire for worldly things cannot be destroyed. Hankering after landed property, after woman, after gold, are difficult to extinguish. What is the thing to be attained by a man? When the chitta, the mind, is free from sattva, rajas, and tamas, these are called the gunas, that when it's freed from the world, it attains liberation. When it's freed from worrying about stuff. When you think about the world all the time, you worry. You worry and worry and worry. Or you fantasize. He says, just as dirty linen becomes clean when washed in soap water, also the mind should be purified by washing it in the soap water of buddhi, in the soap water of true understanding. And it must be made as pure as space. So to still the mind, purify the mind, uplifts the mind. Here's an interesting metaphor too. When you learn sewing on a machine, in the beginning your attention must be fixed not on the legs but on the hands. So it was a machine where you pump it with your legs, right? Not an electric machine. And you have to be focused. So when we fix our attention on booty, on our intellect, and make the mind merge into the heart space, then we will attain that eternal peace, which is called Nityananda. So it means when we quiet the mind and still it in consciousness itself, then we will attain that state. When we learn to merge the mind, the thoughts, into the heart, into the space, then we'll attain that self. A couple of short ones. <clears throat> the asana, uh, asanas are yogic postures, as you all know. The the, the Asana is the station. <laughs> there must be a hidden metaphor for trains, you know. A good posture is Raja Yoga. Asana is seat. That's it. The ascent, you know, asana, there are many, many postures. 84 asanas or 8,400,000 asanas. I don't know how many, uh, you know. Um, but the essential purpose of the asana, of those physical postures, is to attain a solid, steady meditation seat, to be able to sit um, still in, med in meditation. And that's a symbol of being able to control the mind, quiet the mind, still the mind. And so if you can sit in your posture and sit in your mind and sit in your purpose in life and sit in your connectedness with the self, and sit in a good space, 
sit in peace and in love rather than anger, fear, and depression. If you can keep the mind in that, in what I call the clear space of good feeling, that's the whole goal of yoga, the clear space of good feeling, that inner space of peace and joy which we've all passed through. Sometimes we hang out there for a weekend, sometimes for an instant, sometimes it's only a dim memory. But the yogis cultivate it so that they can live in that space, the clear space of good feeling. Okay, um, two more. Uh, I don't know which one to do first. All right, this is a short one. In the beginning, devotion may be selfish. But in time, all desires turn towards the self. So we move from selfishness, ego connection, to connection to the higher self. He says, then the whole world becomes the guru. Then the whole world is the guru. The guru is speaking to us all the time, but we don't hear it. The guru is always telling us where to go and what to do. And you know, in, in China, they call it the Tao. There is a force in our ordinary life that tells us how to live and how to be balanced and how to be in a state of peace. But we're very out of harmony with that. And we, you know, obviously our culture is very out of harmony. And so we have all the problems with global warming and uh, the environment, all these problems. And we have disease, the pestilence, everything that's happening. Um, but also we ourselves are out of harmony. But the, we have to learn to cultivate and to listen to that voice of the Tao, the voice of the self that's speaking to us through all these things. So when we attain a certain state, then the world's always talking to us. They say a great being teaches the wise and learns from the, the idiots because the guru speaks through everything. And the last one, okay? <clears throat> At birth... A child is perfect and free. That's why we love children, isn't it? Because they're so spontaneous. Unselfconscious. A little child doesn't think, oh, I think I'll just look like that and I'll be adorable. You know, I'll be cute. They don't think like that. So we love them. Then it says, at death also there is perfection and freedom. <laughs> In between. There is delusion. <laughs> this is the world according to Bhagwan. <clears throat> At the beginning, perfect. At the end, you let it all go. Perfect renunciation, isn't it? It's all go, willy-nilly. But you know, <clears throat> that which pervades in all four directions is the one, indivisible. Within it is the many, divisible. Wonderful Bhagwan asks, what other mind, whatever mouth could utter such a thing? He's looking at he's looking at life. At the beginning of life it's perfect. The end of life it's perfect. In the middle is a mess. And so in all four directions there's one, not divided, but inside of all that there's the many that are divided. That's the world of multiplicity. 
But really, when we have right understanding, that world of multiplicity all belongs to the one. That's what Bhagavan is saying. When you have the eye of wisdom, you see the oneness behind all the changes. And then you're able to live through good times and difficult times. This is, they call this, this world the karma bhumi, the, the, the place where your karmas are worked out. If a soul needs balancing, they send them to this plane, which is a very odd thing because it's not just a world of consciousness, it's a world of consciousness in matter. And so consciousness living in matter is always frustrated because matter is stupid and slow and unyielding, and but consciousness is incredibly uh, full of ideas and aspirations and desires, and so it's always clashing with how slow matter is. So you, you burn off everything. You're always in a state of frustration, and you have to learn to surrender to this situation. It's a great school, this physical plane. How did I get into this? <laughs> what am I saying? Huh? <laughs> anyway, where where was I started? Where did I start from? Matter is stupid. What? Matter is stupid. Well, matter is stupid. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> okay, I don't know what I was. Ah, uh, the beginning. Okay, that's right. <clears throat> so we have to deal with this predicament that we're in of dealing with a world that really doesn't give a damn, doesn't care about our, what we want, doesn't yield to us, you know. Uh, so we have to learn to deal with that. We have to learn detachment and contentment. And then we can live, and, and then if we can learn that, a great surprise is there for us. We come in touch with a current of joy beyond anything we could imagine. The thing that we've been searching for all the time outside, we discover in this inner thing. This is what Bhagawan represents to us. Bhagawan is the representative of a person who is completely detached. If you didn't know him, you'd think, is that even possible? But when you look at him, you know this is a person who's completely detached. Every day you would wake up and, and live in bliss with no expectations. It doesn't matter what happens, he's fully present to it. And that is the state that he's trying to insinuate us into. And we can attain through, through meditation. So let's meditate. Meditate a little bit. And the great meditation, when it comes to Bhagwan Nityananda, is to contemplate Bhagwan Nityananda. I love to contemplate Bhagavan Nityananda. A day doesn't go by. Well, I contemplate my guru, Baba Muktananda, all the time, but I also contemplate Bhagavan Nityananda very frequently because he is the embodiment of being able to live with perfect detachment and equanimity and joy. And many times in our life, our expectations pull us away from that state of equanimity. Somebody says something bad, we burn in it. 
something doesn't happen the way we want, we burn in it. Uh, so many things happen in our day that make us burn. And we think the burning is because of external effect, uh, events, but it's not. Bhagavan Nityananda is a symbol that when you master the inner, then there's no burn. There's only peace and only joy. So let's meditate. Meditate on that space, the Bhagavan Nityananda within, the place in you that is detached and peaceful and at ease, your truest self, your highest self, the self that your mother saw in you, the self of you at your best when you really like yourself. Meditate on that. Let that be there. Let that grow. And we'll meditate now for 10 minutes. And once again, with great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart, and I hope to see many of you tomorrow. Let's meditate.